Okay, so we're going to try this one tonight. Uh, Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 10. Title is called The Healing at Lystra. Bible says at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Now, what we're looking at in the book of Acts, um, just kind of give you a quick overview of where we're at right here. Uh, Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, gave all authority to the disciples to make, uh, to, to make disciples of all nations, gave them the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to accomplish what he had sent them to do. The Holy Spirit fell upon the, uh, uh, the uh, Jews in Jerusalem. For five years they were in Jerusalem. They never moved. They were supposed to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. They never left Jerusalem. And so persecution broke out. When persecution broke out, people began to run out. And when they get, when began to run out, they began to talk about the things that was in their heart. If you've ever been to a good restaurant, some of you will know this. Every once in a while I go to a new restaurant, and you'll know about it, because if I like it, I'm going to tell you about it. And, uh, and I take people to restaurants and I'll tell them, order this and they'll order that. And then they go tell somebody else. Well, that, you know, even when you're, if I'm, if I go down to Uvalde or go down something else, I still have that restaurant in my heart. And so even if they're not in Jerusalem, Jesus is still in their hearts and they're taking Jesus with them. And so they're telling people about the Lord. One of the reasons the persecution broke out is because of a guy named Saul, uh, he was really instigating, inst, inst, uh, the big instigator behind this persecution. And um, Jesus got a hold of him, Acts chapter 9. And he got saved, turned his life around. And then uh, we began to see the, the center of what God was doing was in Jerusalem, but then it moved to Antioch. Uh, Acts is telling us that the next uh, uh, church that and, and church growth spurt that we see, even though it was continuing in Jerusalem, is now taking place in Antioch. In Antioch, they're starting to bring more people outside of the Jewish faith into Antioch. They're Hellenistic Jews. Um, they hadn't gone and started reaching Gentiles yet. There was really two classes of people, Jews and Gentiles. You were Jew, somewhat Jew, or you were Gentile. That was all the earth, right? And so uh, they were reaching Jews and, and mediocre Jews, according to them, uh, Jews that spoke Greek. And uh, now then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit began to fall and they began to reach people that were non-Jews. But anyway, at Antioch, Paul and Barnabas became central figures in that church. And then in Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit says, now send them out. And, you know, they were very... Uh, instrumental to the leadership and what was happening there. And it's interesting that when the Holy Spirit sent them out, they went out. And it's also interesting to me that the church let them go. You know, when you when you love somebody, you don't want them to go. My, my kids, when they graduated from high school, uh, I was real happy when Sarah said, I'm going to go to school at, at, at Brazosport Community College because I didn't want her to go because I already had one of them left. You know, they left me. Oh, oh you know. And, uh, and we took her up to UTD, and when we dropped her off there, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not without emotions, but I became emotional, you know, when, when I left her there, and uh, it was very tough for me. We don't ever want to see our loved ones go. Paul and Barnabas were central figures. They were asked to go by the Holy Spirit to go out and be proactive in reaching people for God. 
So that brings us back to where we're at. Paul and Barnabas had been sent out from Antioch by the Holy Spirit to spread the gospel. They first went to an island called Cyprus, and from there they moved to the city of Pisidian, Antioch, and Iconium. You need to write this down. We're going to have a test after this. No. And from which they were successful in converting people to the Lord and in making disciples, but from which they were also run out of town due to intense persecution from the Jewish adherents who basically did not want to hear what Paul was saying. Uh, now, Paul and Barnabas find themselves at a city called Lystra, where Paul was preaching, and the name of the city is perhaps derived from the Greek word luo, which means to be loosed or to be set free. So what we see happening in this passage is a glimpse into how God was working with Paul in the healing or the loosing of this man from his affliction. The man was lame, but he wasn't just lame. The Bible says he was lame from his mother's womb. So he never walked. Some people uh, have the ability to walk, and then they lose the ability to walk. This man had never walked in his life. He was crippled in his legs, had never been able to function. In other words, he was born this way. So the phrase, he listened to Paul speaking, which we'll look at a little bit deeper here in a moment, is not the idea that he was simply present in attendance in the crowd. And one of the things I get to do as a preacher is I get to, I get to uh, peruse the crowd. And I notice sometimes, most of the time I don't, otherwise I wouldn't be able to do what I do, but I notice sometimes some of y'all are listening, and some of y'all are thinking about what you just got through eating, and some of y'all are digesting what you just got through eating, and some of y'all are on Facebook, and some of y'all are on YouTube, and some of you, I mean, it's just like, you know, all this stuff is happening across. So you can be present, but not be present, right? And I, I'm not in any way, Chas, you guys do whatever you want. We're just glad that you're here. But I'm just trying to bring out the point that you can be present in the crowd and not necessarily listening. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, somebody will talk to me and they'll be talking to me for a little while. And then they'll say, do you, did you get what I said? And I say, well, what did you say? So I was, I was hearing, but it wasn't registering. I wasn't listening. The idea with this man is he was actively listening and seeking to understand and profoundly being affected and impacted by what Paul was telling them. And so we're going to go through this. I've got a few points. You know, that's what preachers do. We have outlines. And so I have an outline. First point we're going to look at is Paul was preaching the gospel. It says in Acts 14 and 7, and there they continued Paul and Barnabas to preach the gospel. What Paul was declaring is plainly stated in this verse and the verse actually preceding the text that we read. It plainly states that Paul was preaching the gospel. Now, what does that mean? First of all, the word gospel is literally a translation of the Greek word euangelion, and that Greek word is translated good news. That's what it means. It means good news. So the word gospel means good news. Paul was a herald that was sent forth, uh, bringing, as an, uh, the idea is an official uh, uh, messenger, someone that had a governmental stamp, not a worldly governmental stamp, but a stamp from God. He was officially sent forth by God to bring forth, to declare good news. Romans 10, 14 says, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You know, a lot of times people will say, well, you know, if God really wants to save somebody, he doesn't need our help. And the reality is, 
He doesn't need our help. But if we aren't involved in the process, they're not going to get saved. Well, God can do anything. Obviously, He can do anything, but He created the system. And the system He created is He didn't want to do it without us. He wanted to do it with us. And so if people are going to hear the good news about Jesus Christ, someone has to tell them. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, Who will go for me? God, the word of the Lord is going forth. Who will go for me? Who will I send? And Isaiah, who's having a vision from the Lord, he raises his hand. He says, Here am I. Send me. Now, why would God ask someone to go if he didn't need anybody? He doesn't necessarily need somebody. He just works through somebody. And if he can't find somebody, he'll raise somebody else up. But imagine if there's nobody to go. There's lots of people that need to hear the good news of what God is doing, has done, and wants to do in their life. So what was the subject of the good news? The subject of the good news that Paul was declaring and letting people know about is and always will be Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8, Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I, believe, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, when did he appear to them? He appeared to them after he had died, after he was crucified, after he'd been in the grave for three days. That's when the miracle of resurrection took place and Jesus, who was dead, now was alive and he was showing himself to his witnesses who would go and declare the fact that he was alive. And what was the point of him dying and then coming back to life in dying, he didn't die for himself. The Bible says uh, um, that uh, uh, no one took my life from me. I laid it down of my own accord. No one took his life. But he basically said uh, 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 the point of the gospel was that he didn't have to die. The Bible says that soul that sinneth, that person is required to die. The wages of sin is death. So why did Jesus have to die? If he was a righteous man, he was a perfect man, he was a good man, he was a man that was, that was there was no sin found in him. Why did he die? He didn't die because anyone took his life. He could have lived eternally, basically. So why did he lay his life down? Not for his sins, but for our sins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He paid the penalty for sin, and the Bible then teaches that even though we couldn't pay for our sins, Jesus did it for us, but if we'll believe in Jesus and what He did for us, if we'll accept Him and embrace Him and the work that He did in our life, not just, hey, I know about Him, and yeah, I'm grateful that He did that for the world, but no, I recognize in the eyes of God that I'm lost. Right? I may be good in the eyes of everybody else. You know, the reality is, if I look around, you know, I can say, well, I'm not as good as them, I'm better than them, but we all have the capacity to tell ourselves that we're better than everybody else. We have, a, we have this way of, of minimizing our problems and maximizing other people's problems. Right? 
Well, I'm not as bad as they are. I'm better than they are. But the reality is being good is not really what makes you right with God. You can be lost and be a good person. In fact, I've said before, you can actually be lost and actually be a better person than somebody that's saved. But it's not about how good you are. It's about whether or not you have embraced Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you've given your life to God. You've died to your old way of life and you embraced His life. And you've, just like Jesus who died and was resurrected, in Him we die to our old man and we resurrect to a new way of life. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And the Bible says when we, make, when we embrace Christ, we become righteous. He makes us righteous in Christ Jesus. He that, uh, uh, well, he that knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He took our robe of sinfulness and he placed upon us his robe of righteousness, not because of anything that we could do, not because of any work that we did, but because of what He did. And having faith in what He did, we called on Him. And when we called on Him, He forgave us of our sins and cleansed us of all unrighteousness and gave us His robe of righteousness. Am I making sense to you? Okay, so that's why it was important to understand, well, how could He do that? Because He conquered death. He conquered death. He wasn't, he didn't die. Some people say, well, yeah, well, Jesus died and the, and the apostles went around, they just lied and they said he rose again. No, it's already telling you here how many witnesses they had post-resurrection of who he was and that he was alive. See, the good news is not that Jesus died. The good news is that Jesus rose again and he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And that's what Paul was preaching. It says in Ephesians 3, 7 through 10, of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In 1 Corinthians 1, 22-31, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews, and a folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Listen, to the world it doesn't make sense that Jesus would die unless the Holy Spirit is beginning to work in your life and you begin to realize that in the eyes of God we fall short. But it doesn't make sense that you would embrace someone that died in the past, but the reality is what begins to happen is, is that you begin to recognize that Jesus didn't die in the, in the way that the world thinks he died. He gave his life and became victorious over death. It doesn't make sense, but as the preachers are preaching, as the heralds are declaring, the Spirit of God is working with us and is confirming what God uh, is, has done through His Word. And as we begin to accept what the Spirit of God is saying in our lives and we take a step of faith and we follow that pulling of the Spirit of God and embrace what God has said, when we get to the other side, it makes perfect sense. On this side, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But there is that 
pulling and the tug of the Holy Spirit that is saying to us what this preacher is telling you is true. And there's something with inside of us that is resonating with what we're hearing. Now we may push and we may tug and we may say, no, I'm not ready, but we can't shake the fact that there's some truth in that. And what happens is, is we take that leap of faith and it is a leap of faith because it doesn't always make sense to our mind, but we know there's truth in it and we embrace it. We get to the other side and we say, oh, now it makes perfect sense. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And it doesn't look like that on this side. On this side, it looks like foolishness. But on this side, we recognize, oh man, God's weakness is greater than anything that man could come up with. You know, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then finally, in Romans 1.16, uh, Paul is talking about this gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. And it's not because it's it's good theology, not because it's wisdom from God. I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it's the power of God. See, the gospel is not just powerful, it is power. Power to do what? Power to change your life. Power to heal your body. Power to set you free from addiction. Power to, 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 to transform not only your life, but the life of those around you. It is power from God. It's power for the salvation, because that's what that word salvation means. It's not just limited to getting a ticket to heaven. It's the power to change your life, spirit, soul, body, every dimension of your life. So how do we access this power? We believe. It's available to everyone, anyone who will believe. It says in Romans 10, whoever, and I'm so glad I found myself in that category, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter whether they're Jew. It doesn't matter whether they're Gentile. If we will believe that uh, uh, gospel, that good news is that that Jesus Christ can save you and transform your life, give you meaning and purpose to your life, is available to all. How do I access it? You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You call upon the Lord, and when you do that, He does this great work in your life that was all based and founded upon what He did at the cross of Calvary. Anyway, that's the gospel. Paul is preaching that. While he's preaching that, there's another thing that's happened, and the people were hearing in Acts 14-9, the Bible says the lame man uh, was listening to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. So what we find is that, the, that the, in the people that were hearing, there was one man that the Scripture begins to focus on, and that's the lame man. And what was happening was the lame man was listening. The phrase he listened to Paul speaking is not the idea that he was simply present in attendance in the crowd. In our culture, as I've said before, we often misunderstand what the biblical idea of listening was. However, we can bring some understanding by equating what often happens today. People can come to church and be present in the crowd and listen to the speaker, but in reality, they're not really hearing what the speaker is saying. Or they're hearing, but they're not understanding its application to their life. 
In Matthew 13, 13 through 15, the Bible says, to speak, Jesus speaking to his disciples, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and see and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And Jesus was talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the people that were listening in the crowd, but really they would just listen to Jesus as a speaker. They didn't have any desire to change their life. But see, when Jesus spoke in parables, those that were hungry would come to him and say, tell us what this means. Show us what this means. And people that are hungry for God, and the Bible says, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, almost anybody today will take something that's free, but it doesn't mean that they appreciate it or they value it or they're hungry for it. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Then in another place, it talks about those who are rich. God has no problems with people having money or not having money. That's not about it. But oftentimes when we have a lot in this world, we don't need anything from the other world. When we're satisfied and we're content in this world, we don't see any need for anything else. But people that are poor, and you don't have to be poor financially, you can be poor in spirit, you can be poor of heart, you can be poor, you can have lots of money and be poor and recognize that I'm living in poverty. And when you recognize that, blessed are those who are poor because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See what happens now, you open yourself up for, for what God has. When your trust is in what you have, you don't hate anything from anybody else, but when you realize what you have can't change your life. And I always like to say it this way, you know, people like to have lots of money, and I wouldn't mind having lots of money. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having money. It allows you to do things. But I used to think money could make you happy. People want money because they think it'll make them happy. I've, I've had the opportunity to buy three houses now, and I was happy for a day. Then I need to buy another house if I wanted to perpetuate that happiness. I need to do, uh, I bought a car. I've gone through lots of cars. Why? Well, when I buy it, it kind of makes me happy. But then I realized after driving it for a while, it's just a car. Well, this car has better stuff. I'll buy that one, you know. Maybe it'll make me happy, or I'll buy that one. It'll make me more happy. But you know what? That's why people want, they, they think money will give them peace, or it'll give them happiness, or it'll give them pleasure. And it will for a little bit, but eventually it'll die out. And you'll have to do something else. You'll have to do something else. You'll have to do something else, right? So when you begin to realize that, and all of a sudden you realize, is that all there is? No, that's not all there is. When you recognize that this is not all there is, and you recognize there's got to be something more, then all of a sudden you're opened up to to you open yourself up to what God has available for you. All right. So here uh, in Matthew uh, 13, we talked about Jesus spoke to them in parables. In our text, when it says that this man was listening to Paul, the idea is that he was actively listening and seeking to understand and profoundly being affected and impacted by what Paul was declaring. What then was the result of his listening? That brings us to our next point, uh, sub-point in the study of this passage, as we find that this man that was listening, now the Bible says, had faith. In Acts 14 and 9, he listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well. Paul was seeing that in his life. And we'll talk about that here in a minute, but let's focus on this man and his faith. While there was a crowd of people hearing, this man was listening, and as a result, Paul saw that he had faith to be made well. 
How did this man's faith come? By listening to the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. The Word of God. The Bible says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says in 1 and 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of faith, uh, full of uh, grace and truth. So what we find is that Jesus is the Word. When you talk about Jesus, you're talking about the Word of God because the Word of God is about, ultimately, finds its terminus in Jesus. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So as he heard the Word of God, all of a sudden it began to do what it does. It began to bring faith into this person's life. I remember uh, when I first got here, I'm going to hopefully help me to get back, okay? I'm going to go on a rabbit truck. Can you say rabbit? <laughs> One of these days they're going to have rabbits too here because they go on so many rabbit trails. We're going to have to do something with all these rabbits. But anyway, when I first got here, uh, we didn't have a lot of people. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I, that, that I was told when I first got saved is, is go to church. And I was foolish enough to take their advice. I was told, read your Bible. Foolish enough to do that. Uh, I was told to uh, pray. I was foolish enough to do that. You know, it's not just foolish, foolishness, foolishness, you know. But somehow or another, those foolish things seem to serve me well. And then I was told to give, right? And so um, those, uh, there was other things I was told to do, but let's just, let's just focus on those things. And as I began to do that, practice that, I began to see fruit come out of those things in my life. I didn't get here. Uh, I, 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 I got saved when I was 85. I mean, no. <laughs> I got saved in 1985, okay? So that's uh, 23, 30. I'm 37 years now in the Lord, and I'm grateful for that. But it began by doing the basics. When I first got here, uh, we had about 29 people here, and then we grew a little bit, and then we grew a little bit more. And one of the things that we struggled with for the longest time is we struggled with finances. And I realized, uh, you know, the, 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 the trend for the day is that 20% of the people do 80% of the giving, 80% of the people do 20% of the giving. And I know you look at that and you say, well, be thankful for the 20%, you know, because people really aren't giving us today. I didn't approach it that way. I approached it like this way. 20% of the people are being faithful, 80% of the people are not. How can God bless a church that's not being faithful? Okay, so what do you do? You start reprimanding people? You start taking them to the cleaners? No. What do you do? Well, I figured out what I was going to start doing is I'm going to start teaching the Word of God. Well, here's the thought that ran through my mind. Okay, oh, they're going to call you a money-loving uh, money, uh, preacher. You're, you know, you're greedy, and you're, that's why you're talking about money all the time. No, we have a system set up here. I don't directly get your funds. None of that happens. In fact, for the longest time, I'll be honest with you, for the longest time, I was, I, I was very not paid a satisfactory wage according to what what it was was common in the Christian world that's not why we did what we do I didn't do that for that reason the church provides us a salary but guess what to the extent that the people are giving is the extent that you know we can do things we can raise salaries we can pay for people on staff we can do all these kind of things well where does the money come from it comes through God's people Right? So what, what happens if the people don't give? We can't do the things we need to do. You know, we can't uh, afford the people that we need to do, uh, afford. We can't get the new vans. We can't get the guitars. We can't get the sounds. We can't do all these kind of things. We have to, and I began to realize, okay, whether they think I'm a money, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Money, money hunting, what's, how money hungry creature, preacher or not, not a creature, but a preacher. Uh, I'm going to teach them the word of God. 
And I began to teach in the Word of God. Began to teach in the Word of God. Began to teach in the Word of God. We don't make anybody. We don't force anybody. We don't call anybody. We don't reprimand anybody. We don't do that. We just little snippets here, teach the Word of God. But, you know, people don't come to Sunday school anymore. So because they don't come to Sunday school, you know, that's where they would oftentimes be taught these things. So when do you do that? So we take five minutes in the service. and We don't do it as much now, but we used to do it quite a bit because people now have got caught on to that. As we get new people in, we might have to do it a little bit more. But what began to happen is as you teach the Word of God, as you teach the Word of God, as you teach the Word of God, what happens? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So you teach the Word of God, and then what begins to happen, people begin to get faith. And as they begin to get faith, they begin to do what God says in His Word would do. And what you begin to see is you begin to see people all of a sudden get it. And as they get it, they begin to prosper. Now, we're not in any way saying that if you give to God, you're going to become a millionaire, a multimillionaire, or anything like that. We're not saying that at all. But what happens is, as you give to God, it does open the windows of heaven to bless you. How God blesses you, I don't know how He's going to bless you, but His Word is true. And I found that to be true over my life, you know, um, that as we began to give, and I give just like everybody else, I, I think if you're going to teach people about giving, you should be given as well. We practice that. We do what we're supposed to do. And the Lord's blessed over time. We have seen our income increase, or, and we've seen our debts decrease. Even if our income has decreased, our, our debts have decreased, and we still have more now than we've had before. How does God do that? I don't know. Or maybe before, you know, here you are, you're, you're, you're not tithing, you have a good job, and, you know, but uh, you're sick all the time, your cars are breaking down, you know, it just seems like you're never able to do what you want to do with all that you have. Well, you know, what happens, the Bible says, bring the tithes into the storehouse, and I'll rebuke the, 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 the devourer. Sometimes when we, we get lots of income, the devourer is taking everything. I didn't mean to get off on that. My point is that how do you, how do you teach people uh, uh, how does faith come? Whatever the subject is, whatever it is that we're looking at, it comes by the Word of God. you got to teach them the Word of God. And so people don't always go and read the Word of God, or they don't always read the parts that they need. Right? You need broccoli. I don't want broccoli. I want mashed potatoes. I go to Luby's a lot of times. You'd be surprised how, how few people eat vegetables. Uh, chicken fried steak. Mashed potatoes. Okay, you want a vegetable with that? Yeah, give me some macaroni and cheese. Because <laughs> we eat what we want. But sometimes what you want is not what you need. So when we read the Bible, we do the same thing. We read what we want. We read what's good for us. We read what we like. But sometimes that's not what you need. That's why you got to go to church. That's why you got to have people that look. Oftentimes they will give you what you need, not just what you want. Amen. So anyway, um, as we preach the gospel, we're not simply just giving people knowledge. Rather, as we proclaim the Word of God, we're vessels through whom the Spirit of God, through the proclaimed Word of God, is sparking faith in those who are actively hearing. What is faith? The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. In other words, faith is uh, in some way evidence of what God has spoken into your life, faith is evidence that what God is saying is taking root in your life. Even though there's no visible evidence, is I, I believe what God is saying, and how do I know I be, uh, you believe what God is saying? Because my life, even though I haven't seen it yet, begins to wrap around the Word of God. Faith without works is 
dead. Why is this important? Because in Hebrews 11 and 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. You've got to believe in the existence of God. And then you also have to believe that there is a, a, a reward for those that pursue him. And how do, you, how do you access what God has made available to us in Christ? It's through faith. I've said this before, the currency of the world. If you want to do anything in the world, you've got to have money. We just make it simple. Yeah, oh, I can trade, I can barter. But yeah, how did you get it to begin with? Money, right? We, our talents are converted into currency. And they're converted by how people value what you do. You know, some artists are, are, are you know, they're, they're, when they were alive, they made these beautiful pieces of art and people didn't value them. And so they didn't get hardly anything. Maybe they, they sold this precious work for $100 because that's what somebody would give them to them. Then they die, and all of a sudden the same work, people value it a lot more, and now they give them $20,000 for it. But basically, what is that work? It's a product of your life, a product of your talent. And people are valuing what you do. Some people uh, deserve greater value. Some people deserve lesser value. But that's not really the issue. The issue is that's, that's the value for what you do based in the society that you're in. And so your value is converted to currency. And that currency, then you're able to trade with that currency with what somebody else is valued or what they do. Maybe it's their job. Maybe what they do, they get currency. We trade in this world through the currency of money. In the kingdom of God, the currency is faith. How do we get faith? Well, it's not by working for it. It's by believing God. And then you come to God with faith faith that he gives you faith comes by hearing by the word of God and with that faith you begin to believe what God has said in his word and there, that faith opens the door for the power of God in his word to become evident in your life I don't I, his system is a better system to me but of course I'm a preacher that's what I'm supposed to say right so the preaching of God's Word sparked faith in this man. And as we move forward, here's where we can learn some more in this encounter of how Paul cooperated with the Spirit of God to facilitate this man's healing. Now, we only had two songs tonight, so I'm preaching a little longer than normal. Are you guys okay with that? All right. Because really, I just, I just finished the uh, first half of the message, and we're going to go in the second part here. But if you guys have to go, God bless you. You know, but if you don't have to, I'm going to keep going, okay? So the third thing is that Paul saw that this man had faith. Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith, what kind of faith? Faith to be made well. Paul, seeing that this man had faith to be made well, did not just chalk up that revelation to simple awareness. He grasped that God was revealing this to him, and if God was revealing it to him, he deduced that it was because God was wanting to do something about the situation. You know, so often we get an idea, or we get a thought, we get some information, all of a sudden it just comes to us, and we think, well, that was a nice thing to know. Kind of like, like Jeopardy. I like to watch Jeopardy, but Jeopardy, to me, is one of the most... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It's like, what good are these facts going to do you? <laughs> uh, except unless you play Jeopardy, they're not going to do anything for you, right? You know, 
Because it's like, it's like, oh, these people are smart. Why? Because they know these facts? That doesn't make you smart. It just makes you somebody that likes to memorize weird facts. Okay? But the reality is it doesn't, doesn't do a lot for you just to know these things. So, so a lot of people approach God that same way. All of a sudden they'll have a thought. They'll have an idea. They look at, like Paul looking at this man, that guy has faith to be made well. Let's go do something else. No, Paul began to realize, why would God show me that? Kind of like he asked himself, why would God show me that? Why would that be revealed to me? And I always take the, 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 the idea that if God is showing me something, it's not just so that I can have knowledge, it's because God wants me to do something about it. Right? So notice that Paul then had to partner with the Spirit of God for what, uh, Paul, for what God wanted to see manifested in this man. Again, you have to have an instrument. Right? People are instruments of God uh, that God uses to bring what he wants to do in the lives of other people. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't receive from God by yourself, but the reality is most of what God does, he does through others. Why does he do that? So we don't live an isolated lifestyle, so that we begin to realize that God intended that as people we would need one another. In fact, in the very beginning, when it was just God and man, God said it's not good for him to be alone, and so he created woman. But it wasn't just about woman, it was about man, and God is good, but man also needs other people around him. We need the fellowship that comes from And God designed us in such a way where none of us have the whole package. And God doesn't speak to one person everything. Oftentimes what I need may be found in you. And what you need may be found in somebody else. Well, how, in other words, how are we going to access that? Only when we begin to interact and love one another. They'll know you're Christians by your love from one another. Well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But if you want to become a victorious, overcoming Christian, you're going to find your victory in the company of other people that are walking out the same journey because we're a body. You still want me to go on? Okay. So Jesus said that he, when he was to depart, he, was not to, he would not leave the disciples alone, but that he would send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would remind them of what he had said by revealing things to them. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Paul reveals a little more about the Holy Spirit's role as a revealer in 1 Corinthians 2, 11 and 12. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? And so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So it's the Spirit of God that reveals the things of God to us. And Romans 8.14 says, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. My point is to bring this together is that the Spirit of God reveals things through you, and in revealing things through to you, it's so that you can follow His lead and bring into fruition what God wants for you and the benefit of those around you. We can experience the leading of God's Spirit through His enablements, through His gifts, through His charismata. I like to call them enablements because they're, they're the empowerments of God. 
We can experience God's Spirit through His empowerments in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 8. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Perhaps it was the gifts of the Spirit in operation that allowed Paul to be aware of this man's faith. How else was he going to see faith? You don't see people walking around the world just saying, hey, I see faith. No, it was a revelation of the Spirit. And it was probably a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom that was given to him that allowed him to see that this man was not just a man in the audience listening. There was something being sparked in this man and the Spirit of God revealed to him that he had faith to be made well. So what happened? Paul partnered with the Spirit of God. That brings us to our fourth point, Acts 14 and 10. He said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. So realize that Paul partnered with the Holy Spirit. What did Paul do? He spoke out what he was seeing by the Spirit. How did he speak it out? With boldness. He spoke it out loudly, and he spoke it out in the form of a command. It was a directive for this man to do something in order for him to activate his faith. This wasn't just Paul getting the man to do something, but Paul helping this man activate the faith he saw that the man already had. In other words, it wasn't Paul's command that was going to heal him. It was this man doing something with the faith that God was placing upon him, the faith that was, that was coming alive in him. Do something with what, you, what, what is going on in your life. Sometimes when we're praying for people, and, and this is always uh, risk. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Sometimes when you're praying for people, you'll, uh, as you're praying for them, you lay hands on some people and you feel nothing, right? There's nothing there. It's just an act. It's just, a, it's just a, a procedure that we're going through. But sometimes you lay hands on people and they have faith. And then what you want to do then is if you find they have faith as you're praying for them, a lot of times what you want them to do, you want them to ask them to do something they couldn't do before. Try doing something. What, what's the problem? Oh, my, my shoulder hurts. When does it hurt when I do this? So you pray for them, and then you ask them, try doing something you couldn't do before. It's not you that's healing them. What you're trying to get them to do is to activate their faith. I believe God's touching me, so let me do something that I couldn't do before. And sometimes that's why we'll tell you when you're sitting in the crowd, when you're sitting here listening to the Word of God, we'll pray for you at the end. We'd love to do that, and sometimes that's how God works. But sometimes just while I'm preaching the Word of God, the Spirit of God is moving, faith is active, you can begin to partner with what God is doing in the atmosphere by trying to do something you couldn't do before. Right? My leg hurts. Well, you know, but something's going on. I feel the presence of God. I, I feel like God, and just, just try to do something you couldn't do before. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're my healer, and I'm going to try to do something I couldn't do before. And you know what? If you, if you, if you find that something is happening there and you're feeling better, then try to do something a little more. Try to do something a little more. But don't get discouraged if you only get to a certain place because oftentimes what happens is you're beginning the process of healing. Some people get like just automatically they get everything in one shot. I like it when that happens, right? But sometimes some of us get it a little bit at a time. The Bible says they'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Recovery doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen right away. I like to explain it this way, and I'm getting off on a rabbit trail again, I know, but I like to explain it this way, you know. He said, sometimes when you get prayed for, the Bible says virtue came out of Jesus. That word virtue is power. 
right? So oftentimes, if you go to a doctor, let's say you need some kind of treatment. The doctor will say to you, okay, you need, you need five rounds of this much uh, treatment, whatever it might be, this, this type of uh, a treatment that we're offering down here. So you go there and you'll get a treatment. They'll give you a certain dose. And then you go back again a, a month later and they'll give you another dose. And you go back again and they'll give you another dose. But the, 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 the treatment is not complete until you finished. Now, here's the thing about God. God didn't tell you you're going to get, it's going to take five times of getting prayer before you get well. He doesn't tell you that. Right? He, we just come up and we get prayed for. Now, here's the thing. When you go to a doctor, have you ever got a prescription from a doctor? You know, they don't just give you a pill. They give you a pill that has a certain amount of, um, what do you call it? Huh? Yeah, but, but you know, you can have like 100 milligrams of aspirin or huh, dosage, a certain dosage of it, right? So sometimes uh, when I take ibu uh, ibuprofen, you know, uh, it only comes in 200 milligrams. Uh, but one time I went to a doctor, he gave me a prescription. I think he gave me one for like 800 milligrams or something like that. So uh, the, the dosage is different. So sometimes when you come up here, and, and sometimes uh, your body doesn't receive like when I take supplements, I, I do take supplements because I'm getting older and I'll take supplements. And a lot of people will say, you know, most of the supplements your body doesn't absorb. You just, you just, it goes in and out. But I feel better when I take them because I feel like I'm doing something. <laughs> Even if it's going out, I still feel like I'm doing something. But anyway, my point is that when you get prayed for, uh, we believe that something is happening, but we don't know how much of a dose you got. And we also don't know how much of that you were able to retain. And so what we tell people is that when you come and get prayed for, let us pray for you. But we believe that every time we pray for you, your word is like medicine to my flesh. The Bible says that you're getting something. Well, I'm not totally well. But maybe, maybe it's a 13-course treatment. Maybe it's a 5-course treatment. Maybe it's a 2-course treatment. We don't know how long it's going to be. So what do I do? Just keep coming until you get well. We'll pray with you until you get well. You just keep believing God until you get well. Why? Because God said, if you'll lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. By faith, I believe what God said. Well, I got prayed for, nothing happened. Well, maybe you need another dose. Maybe the next time you get prayed for, you get a stronger dose. Maybe the next time you get prayed for, you get a weaker dose. We don't know, but you just keep going. See, faith believes God no matter what the circumstances. And faith is, I know that if I just continue to do what God says for me to do, I know something's going to happen. And you never know. It might be that we lay hands on you one time or we pray for you one time and all of a sudden everything's gone and you're completely well. I like that. Huh? It does happen, right? You got prayed for many, many times. For five years, was it? And then, I don't know if y'all know that, everybody here, she used to be in a wheelchair, Right? But then five years later, after many, many, many years of prayer, we don't know why it took that long. We don't know that. All we know is that there came a time when all of a sudden who she was is no longer who she is. She was uh, lame before, and now she's whole. Well, why did she have to do that for that long? I don't know. It's not my job to figure things out. It's just my job to preach the Word of God. And as we get faith, and as the... I. I believe also as the congregation's faith grows, it's not just the individual, but the congregation's faith grows, we see more and more of God's power released. Okay, so anyway, 
Paul parted with the Holy Spirit, and um, remember this man was lame from birth. He'd never walked before in his life. Paul wasn't thinking it through with his mind. He was moving in the Spirit. He simply needed to partner with the Spirit of God to do his work. Last point we're going to look at is the, the lame man also had to partner with the Holy Spirit. Paul partnered with the Holy Spirit, and the lame man had to partner with the Holy Spirit because when Paul said to get up, you know what he did? He didn't say, I can't. He didn't say, I've never done that before. He didn't say, I've tried, and it's never worked, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just one of those evangelistic TV preachers. You got no. He didn't say any of that. Paul said, get up on your feet, and you know what the man did? He didn't think about it. He didn't try to rationalize it out. He just got up. Well, how does that work? I don't know. But I like it. How about you? I like it. What did this man do? He did what he could not do before. Like Paul, he also did not get into rationalizing this thing out. He simply responded to the command that Paul gave by the Spirit, and he did what he was told to do. He did what he could not do before, but he did it regardless. I preached a message one time called The Man with a Withered Hand, and in my mind, this man's hand was, was dysfunction, wouldn't work. And then Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And the Bible says when he stretched out his hand, it was made well, it was made whole. It didn't say it was made whole, and then he stretched out his hand. Jesus basically said, do something you couldn't do before. And the man didn't think about it, he just did it. And when he did it, he was made whole. Well, how does that work? I don't know. I just know it's biblical. When God says that he's going to do something like he did with Peter, Peter said, Lord, if it's really you walking on the water, bid me come. How many of you know he didn't think that through? He said, if it's you, bid me come. And Jesus said, come. Peter didn't think it through. He just did it. Well, wait a minute. What are the physics of that? How does that happen? You know, I mean, let me go talk to some physicists. Let me go talk to some engineers. Let me see how. No, he didn't do any of that. Jesus said, come. And he came. And you know what he did? He walked on the water. But he wasn't really walking on the water. He was walking on the strength of God's Word. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So as a result of this man's faith and Paul's partnership in faith with what the Spirit of God was showing him, the man was now made whole. So let's wrap it up. In this account, we're shown how God was working in and through Paul and bringing God's power into manifestation in this man's life. This man's life was changed because of the proclaimed good news of God. And here's a couple of questions I have. What if Paul had not preached? What if Paul did not believe in miracles? What if Paul didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit? What if Paul didn't partner with the Spirit of God? And what if this man hadn't obeyed the Spirit's instructions through Paul? Then, even though this was God's will, the will of God would not have become evident and we wouldn't have this story in the Bible. In the same way, we should take away from this passage that God's power is available to touch people's lives, but it requires our participation to bring His will for people and for us into manifestation. <music>